Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author House. This is J. Douglas Barker. Today we get to talk about an inspirational book that's been penned by author Michelle Brown, who joins me from Alabama in the southern part of the United States. The title of the book is Autumn and Winter, subtitled Seasoned by God. Michelle, thank you for joining me today on the program. Thank you, Jay. Well, thank you for joining me. I look at uh, some of the information about you as a, a, a as an author, and it says that you are also Native American, and uh, that means that you have been here, at least your family and your history, has been a part of the United States for a number of years, uh, way beyond the founding, perhaps, way, way back, and, and yet you're in Alabama and talking about autumn and winter, winter in particular, where you uh, mentioned a lot of snow and and, and those types of things. Uh, have you always lived in Alabama? Yes, I have. I've lived here for the past 50 years. 50 years. This book is a collection of poetry, of uh, inspirational thought. How long did it take you to put these 100 or so poems together? Oh, I've been working on it for maybe a year or two, and I finally got to get 50 of them, about 50 poems together to publish in a book. And have you been writing all of your life, or is this something that's a a recent addition to your efforts? Um, I've actually, I haven't been writing all my life, but the poem Best Friend was published in three poetry books, and so... After I published it, I read other books that were of nature poetry that I liked and decided I wanted to write one. This is, again, uh, inspirational in its intent. It's not necessarily a religious book in the, uh, the, the common sense of the word, but it is inspirational. You have it uh, subtitled, Seasoned by God. Where did your inspiration come from besides nature? Well, my my inspiration and motivation also come from God. He he saved my life three times, and so I just felt like I wanted to include him in my poetry because I loved him for saving my life three times. Was that a physical uh, saving and salvation uh, that that uh, occurred in your life, or how did that come about? Well, I was 15 years old, and also I was in a car accident, and so he saved my life through that. And then the other two ways were tornado, what they touched down close to where I lived, and the tornado could have got me, but it didn't. So he just really watched over me through that. Your your purpose in life, then, is uh, to honor him in your poetry, obviously, from what you have just described. You have uh, focused on autumn and winter, seasoned by God. 
Uh, you live in Alabama. There's not a lot of snow there, but many of your poetry pieces deal with snow and colder weather. Uh, how did you have the uh, the foresight or the, the inspiration to, to deal with that particular t- subject matter? Well, the little bit that the snow come, there was a March snowstorm in, in 1993 that hit here in Alabama. Hmm. And the snow piled as much as 12 inches to 20 inches high Wow! from the ground up. And it was just caked all over the tree branches. And so I decided to remember it and write about it and include that in. Uh, one of your poems that you have uh, pointed me toward is, is titled Winter Spring Snow. Uh, would you like to share that or would you like me to read that? I'll, I'll let you read it. Well, you're kind to let me do so, and hopefully I won't mess it up. Uh, the title of the of the poem, again, and the observation, this inspiration is titled Winter Spring Snow, and it's written as such. The winter spring snow, hugely God-breathed, laying on the ground for he had bequeathed. It was piled twelve or more inches in height over the heart of Dixie in broadest daylight which was the result of a March snowstorm, just lays on the ground in a soft, plush form. White snow is all caked on the tree branches, piled in front of mountain like an avalanche from a far distant mountains, look all white. So wonderfully beautiful, into an earth's light. Winter spring snow lays all over the rooftops, of them houses, storage buildings, and car tops, covering all driveways and navy blue streets, plus the anterior yards and light blue streets. Then birds are in hiding until all snow melts, falling off the branches within southern belt. The dyed-out flowers growing back in season, with all warm temperatures to be their reason. When snow's leaving and cold becomes cool, winter spring snow will no longer be in rule. Michelle? beautiful description of what took place as you described it uh, just before I began reading the poem. There is a an abundance of poems in these two seasons, autumn and winter. Was it difficult to come up with inspiration for those? No, sir. I just used my brain, you'd say, and just kind of remember and think how the weather is here and That's how I wrote it. Have you always wanted to be a poet and share your inspiration? I have for the past few years just had this dream of wanting to write a poetry book and and just nature poetry and include God in it. And he's been my motivation to want to do that as well as the nature and including animals in also helps it to helps I would season the poetry using animals and and God and my black and white dog named Muffin. Hmm. He's included in Autumn Days. I don't put his name in the poem, but saying a small black and white dog, and I'm thinking of Muffin. And how I still miss him, because he died when I was twenty years old, and so and still, I just missed him. 
your Native American heritage, did that play any role in the observations that you were able to make in your book? The Siberians are Yes, your heritage, you have, uh, because you are Native American in your heritage, did that have any influence on the way that you have approached your view of nature and, and your poetry? Yes, sir. Yeah, just living in the south and the warm weather that's here, that, that's, and of course, I am having a next book I plan to write about called Spring and Summer, Seasoned by God. That's my next book. So the warm weather, that'll be in it. <laughs> but, um, Yes, I, I was I was wondering whether you would address that maybe in the next book. Well, you'll be out of seasons at that point. You you'll need to maybe do one that includes all four seasons of the year as your as your uh, follow up book to that one, perhaps. Yes, sir. That or I possibly was thinking of a poetry devotional book, three hundred sixty five poems, one for each day of the year. That can be number three book. I like that idea. I think I think there would be a wonderful market for that. There are many of us who who uh, in, engage in devotional times or time. Uh, many refer to it as a quiet time each day, where they get their thoughts kind of uh, focused on something that's important, and in this case, uh, a relationship with God. And this would be a uh, I think a well received book. I like that idea. Thank you. Yes, I, I like the idea too. Have you begun writing? Have you begun writing that book yet? The which one? The second book. S- second or well, the second one? I think you've started, but the third one. Have you have you been able to devote any time to to writing that book on the devotional side? Not, not yet. I haven't started on that one just yet. But I was thinking I possibly, if I decide that might be the second book instead of spring and summer, and I may decide to do that one second. Does it, does it, take, does it take a long time to, to compose your thoughts and to put them into poetry form? You have, uh, again, probably close to 100 poems in this book. How long does it take to complete a book, or did it take? Well, to write a poem, it when I'm trying to word it and get it perfect, and even the sentences, making even sentences, I would say it can take me three hours or five hours to work on one to to make it perfect. Beautiful. Michelle, another poem that you wanted me to share is one that is titled Winter Snow in the South. It reads like this. When God compels winter at his will, sometimes snow topples upon a hill. Scarcely ever falls in the deep south. It solely falls by the Father's mouth. Sometimes twill lay for a long while, so all of them southerners will smile. Sometimes it's only here a short time to melt on off by the afternoon time. How pleasant it is when it does stay, and eating snow cream day after day. Children playing plus having some fun, making snowman and snowwoman. 
dressing them in buttons, scarves, hats. Give them both a loving little old pat, thinking they're your dear good friend before winter comes close to an end. Here within this deep, booming south, singly a-melting by the Father's mouth, is the winter snow at God's own will, that the cold interval inclinedly fulfills. You have completed this and are definitely inspired to continue in your writing career. Where can my listeners get a copy of Autumn and Winter, subtitled Seasoned by God? Okay, um, there's Amazon.com, there's Barnes & Noble, of course, AuthorHouse.com. There's also the website MichelleBrown.com. Excellent. And, and let, me, um, let me spell your name for the uh, listener. It's uh, M-E-S-H-E-L-L-E, Brown, B-R-O-W-N. Yes, so that's correct. The um, digital downloads, if you have an e-reader, people can go to Kindle and, and get a digital download. And it's in print, hardcover book and softcover book. Audio, I'm not sure about just yet. All right, Michelle. I need to talk with Arthur House about that one. Very good. Michelle, thank you for joining me today. Again, the title of the book is Autumn and Winter, Seasoned by God. My author, Michelle Brown, who has joined me from Alabama in the United States of America. Thank you, Michelle, for joining me, and hopefully we'll get to talk again about your next release when it is available to the public. People, you can do a search online under her name if you choose, and your local bookseller can also order it in. Again, Michelle is spelled M-E-S-H-E-L-L-E. And uh, thank you, Michelle, for joining me today. Thank you, and you're welcome. For Author House and its inspirational division... This is J. Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Women Who Knew Jesus. And joining me from California, near the city of San Francisco, is author Dr. Bonnie Ring. Welcome to the program. 
Thank you. This is a, a book that uh, is unique in several uh, several uh, perspectives, I guess. Uh, one, it deals specifically with uh, the women of the New Testament and their relationship to Christ. Uh, how did you come up with the idea of wanting to write this book? Oh, it's a wonderful story. I was in my first year of seminary at the age of 46, and uh, the instructor in church history said we needed to write five meditations about saints from the first 500 years of the church. And I flippantly said, is it all right if I choose all women? Mm -hmm. And he answered me and said, well, sure, though I can't think, I I don't think I can think of five that would qualify. Mm. That was fighting words. Well, I not only discovered those five, but I discovered there was a whole slew of women that Jesus interacted with, and they had a very different attitude toward him and response to him than the male disciples did. Absolutely. You have uh, included in here the many well-known figures from the New Testament uh, interaction with Christ. And one thing I found interesting about your book and your style is that you have uh, sort of written this in a way that it could be done as a or read as a devotional guide. It could be used in a church setting, could be used in a community setting. What was it is being done? That is being done now. Wonderfully. There are churches all over that are reading the book together and responding to it, and it's it's it allows an individual to do it on their own. I have friends who say, "I'm re- this is one book. I'm really going to do the exercises. I I would resist it normally." <laughs> Yes, at the end of each chapter, you have a sort of a meditation area and questions that will delve into the thinking of the reader and get them interacting with the content. I think that's a yeah, wonderful approach. Yeah, the meditations approach. allow them to think about how that woman would be feeling and how Jesus might be feeling. And then the questions ask them to apply the same circumstances to their lives now. I uh, noted in your biography that you also had some, uh, I will will call it, um, theatrical involvement in your church setting, um, doing, uh, how would you describe those those, uh, activities? I'm not sure I know what you're talking about. Well, I may have misread then. I I had the impression that you had done some, uh, uh, not theatrical, but but, uh, dramatic uh, interaction and interpreting some of the stories. Well, Uh, less less so in church and more in my retreats. Mm. I I got the, the participants to act out the stories, and they became alive for them. And then when I was a student, I took a course, a wonderful course called... The Gospel of John as instant theater. Correct. And it was in, I think this is the instant that you're thinking of, and it was in the experience of playing the role of Mary Magdalene that I really got it, that it's so powerful to, to experience the person telling their story. And of course, that's the way the Gospel was originally formed. Well, thank you so much for... the stories and reacted. Thank you so much for reinforcing the fact that I am not losing my uh, my intellect. <laughs> totally. Uh, the reason also that I brought that up in in thinking of the uh, the questions and the meditations at the end of your chapter, I was thinking that those uh, did you write those with the intent of perhaps those being portrayed and uh, reenacted? Uh, no, I. Let's see. The 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 questions first formed as I did retreats with women around the women who knew Jesus. And um, then I added to them as I was writing the book to make it more complete and to 
to allow each woman to kind of engage herself in the in the story. As I was reading it, and uh, of course that again I have a little bit of a creative background. It it sort of took me into the theater, into a theatrical setting where I could maybe interact with other people and uh, retell that story maybe from my perspective using those as a guideline. That's just something that impressed me. That's what we did in the Gospel of John as Instant Theater. We took the story and we read it, recreated it as a script, and we acted it out. And then as a class, we talked about the impact that that story had on us seeing it right in front of us. Phenomenal. 247 pages. How long did it take you to complete this, Dr. Ring? It took about a year and a half to write, and then another six months to edit. Hmm. Is there anything that you discovered in your research that is not commonly known in the Christian faith that maybe stood out to you a little bit? Probably the most striking thing is the impact these women had on Jesus. Um, some of them changed his mind about things or opened up discussions that had never been held before. For instance, the Samaritan woman at the well mm-hmm. was somebody who was really, she's on the cover of the book, she was she avoided the people in town because they disparaged her and she was, she was considered kind of loose and, and immoral. And um, when she got talking to Jesus, at first she was very resistant. You know, men didn't talk to women they didn't know, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. But after she got engaged with him, she started to get excited about what he was saying, and she said to him, well, you know, you Jews think that you should only worship in the temple in Jerusalem, but we Samaritans have a different place that we worship. And Jesus said something he never said anywhere else. Where you worship worship will not matter. It is how you worship, whether you worship with an open heart, with all your being in, in response to God. Remarkable insight. Absolutely. Yeah. And also the fact that Jews and, and uh, Samaritans really did not I- interact at all. In fact, I'm sure the disciples no, long, were pretty alarmed. history of despising one another. Right. And Christ eliminated that barrier not only with the Samaritans, but also with, uh, with the ladies or, or with women, because that, again, was probably a cultural uh, uh, no-no. Oh, yeah. no, no, no moral... Jew would have approached women the way Jesus did. He he just disregarded the custom, and he treated them as equals. What did you think the impact of these women you have uh, highlighted in your book had on the early church? Or did anything happen because well, of their... I think I think their impact on the early church was diminished as the early church became more concerned with its own acceptability. Many of these women were um, figures, many women were figures in the early church in in running house churches and Mm -hmm. celebrating the Eucharist. And then as the culture, um, as as the desire for acceptability in the Roman culture got greater, they got more restrictive towards women. And, um, And then the worst story of all is the story of Pope Gregory who thought that Mary Magdalene was a, a prostitute. Mm. And he, he conflated several different stories about different women, none of whom were really prostitutes, but one of them was a repentant woman of something. And he put them all together, and he called her Mary Magdalene. And so in the Eastern Church, she has been referred to as the Apostle to the Apostles, because she was the first to see the risen Christ. But in the Western Church, it took them until Vatican II in the 60s. 
to admit really? that their story about Mary Magdalene was wrong. Incredible. What yeah. do you What do you hope the reader will take away from this church? Did you, did you write this specifically for women to read, or is this something that it, will be, uh, you know, everyone is going to find uh, I, value? I have found men, men find it very interesting. I think women are excited by it because it offers them some models that are relevant today to, um, to be outspoken, to be um, committed to the things they value, to... Um, to treat Jesus as somebody that was important and who understood him in ways that the men did not. So she's a, they're all great role models, and we all need role models. Men and women need role models. Boy, that's true. People that we, we, we you know, can aspire to be like. Which of the women that you highlighted do you feel is uh, maybe at the top of that, that list of, of people we should admire? Oh, that's hard. Um, well, my favorite has always been Mary Magdalene. Yes. Um, and I I think that um, the more I've gotten to know her, the more I've gotten to appreciate her. But I also think that I have, uh, just my own feelings about these women has, has just deepened as a result of writing the book. And uh, the Samaritan woman, I would not have guessed that I would have put her on the cover three years ago. But I went through all the pictures I had of all the women with my spiritual director, and we both picked her mm. because she she was a nobody. She was an un she was an unacceptable woman in her in her culture, and Jesus treated her like she was worth every every bit as much as anybody else. Doesn't and that? And she then turned around and got her people to come listen to him and convert. And that really is the underscored message of the gospel. Yes. The message is we can all bring other people to Jesus. You have uh, talked about the woman who had an issue of blood or hemorrhage and yes. her healing. Is there anything in history that goes beyond the scriptural account of that, or did, did you just highlight her faith in this, uh, in this account? No, I actually I begin by by reading uh, quoting from Leviticus what was what was the rules in in the Hebrew scriptural rules about how women were to behave when there was a flow of blood, whether it was menstruation or some other cause, and um, there was a purity code in Hebrew times that was especially applied to the women rather than the men. The men were, in fact, the purity code was impo in, in, imposed to protect the purity of the men. Mm. And so um, her her experience is, is not different from what Jewish women experienced all, all, all that time. And the red, the red Tent, that wonderful novel, is a, is a great description of Hebrew times and the women's response to being isolated and and um, uh, set apart actually and set apart set yes. apart when they were bleeding yeah and 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 in her case the the story is impactful because she had suffered for twelve years hmm. and when she heard that there was this Jewish man who had cured a woman Peter's mother-in-law. She thought, if I can only just get close enough to touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. And by God, that happened. It's a, it's a wonderful story of faith, for sure, on many, level, on many levels. You yes. also talk about the woman that Jesus sees from the cross. Uh, who is that woman? Mm, well, 
that's a big debate. Was that his I'm mom? I'm going to get in trouble, <laughs> I think, with some people because I, I do not believe the woman at the cross was Mary, his mother. Hmm. I believe that he and she conflicted over how he was spending his life and that she was not there. The only one that says she was there is John, and that was written about 50 years later than the other Gospels. Uh, I believe that the women who were there were those who had served Jesus, and the primary among them was Mary Magdalene. And even in the Gospel of John, when he when John says uh, his beloved disciple, I think she was the beloved disciple. That's an she interesting. She was the one that had the closest understanding and relationship with him of all the followers. Controversial for sure. Absolutely. (laughs) Well, that leaves us on a very interesting note. I will say this, uh, 22 chapters, 262 pages. Uh, Whoever picks this up is going to get a a great deal of thoughtful discussion about the women who knew Jesus. Uh, I think that they will find the meditations a very engaging and reflective examination of their knowledge of Jesus. And your next project? I'm working on an article about how this book helps us see Jesus more clearly and how Jesus is a model of a spiritual director to us, but the book is a spiritual director to us. Excellent. Well, thank you for yeah. sharing this story, and, and happy to know that you are continuing your writing career. Well, again, you, the, the book, again, is titled Women Who Knew Jesus, and my author, who has joined me from California, is Bonnie Ring. Dr. Ring, where can my listeners get a copy of your book? Well, they certainly can get it from my publisher, AuthorHouse, AuthorHouse.com, or they can get it from Amazon or any of the other online bookstores. Have you launched a website yet, or is yes. that something in the future? Oh, there's a wonderful website that AuthorHouse has created for me. It's www.womenwhonewjesus.com. Wonderful. Uh, again, for those who might want to do some uh, respectful uh, stalking online, your name is spelled B-O-N-N-I-E, last name R-I-N-G. Dr. Ring, yes. thank you again for joining me today. Thank you, Jay. My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts, back in a moment. hear about Wesley, the golden retriever puppy from Michigan that was fitted with braces? Before you think this is a bona fide insanity, Wesley was born with teeth that were so crooked he couldn't shut his mouth all the way. This was affecting his ability to eat properly. So his owners took him to the Harborfront Hospital for Animals and Veterinary Dental Solutions, where a doggy orthodontist prescribed him a set of braces. And now, pictures of Wesley smiling with his bright, shiny braces have been circling the Internet. With all that metal wrapped around their teeth, some would think that most dogs would become bruxomaniacs, but not Wesley. He doesn't mind the braces at all and is now able to eat his food with gusto. A bruxomaniac is someone with an uncontrollable urge to grind their teeth. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Hello and welcome to Toganet Radio's Author Voices on Air. My name is Deb Han. It's a pleasure to be with you again this afternoon. And it's a pleasure to bring a really fabulous author, a really interesting book and a real call to arms or a call to action. Um, 
We're going to be talking today with Reverend Peter Blackburn and he's written a fantastic book called Jesus at Work, A Call to the People of God. And without further ado, I'm going to hand straight over to you. Peter, how are you? Welcome. Oh, I am well, thanks, Deb. It's a touch warm here, but then uh, I'm keeping cool. That's it. You're up there in God's country in far north Queensland, aren't you? That's right, yep. (laughs) It's a beautiful part of the world, absolutely beautiful part of the world. Um, Peter, thank you so much for for writing this book. This, um, you know, it's it's interesting. In your in your preface, you spoke about. Um, in fact, you have a wonderful uh, preface about um, if if you were to go away somewhere and you asked somebody to look after something, when you came back, you would have an expectation that it, it would be completed and cared for and so on especially if the person said yes that they would do that and in so many ways this is this book is the spiritual notion of that or it's it's Jesus call to that notion around you know look after this while we'll be back right is is that a a fair way to describe the how how this kind of sets your your Jesus at work book up is that right I think that sets the scene for it, Deb. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether that's ever happened to you, and I guess it's a it's a good story. I'm not sure that it's happened to me, but goodness gracious, is the church of today really doing what Jesus meant when he set things up a couple of thousand years ago? That's the question. Yeah, it, and it's a it's a really interesting question to ponder, and particularly when we think about um, just in our modern world, there are so many you know distractions. You know, we call them shiny things these days. Um, you know, what are the things that that take the people off of their their um, yeah their their response to Jesus request and what are the things that get in the way uh to you know to following his his call and and answer his service and so on so and and you go on to talk a lot about that in in your book which which is really wonderful as a call to the people of God it's very very appropriate you you're speaking very specifically to his community to 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 his believers so um what was it that really inspired you to, to, yeah, to write this book, and especially now? Why, why now? Well, I didn't mean to write a book. <laughs> I guess I'm not the first person to say that. I was just going to say I've never heard that before. <laughs> I'm sure that there are a lot of people who don't mean to write a book. I mean, there are some people who, uh, you know, oh, I'm going to write a book, but yeah. no, I had no intention of writing a book, but. Um, there are a few times there's a particular congregation in the Cairns area that have needed a bit of help and I've filled in there three or four times now and uh, their minister was a bit stressed out and her husband has died since then actually so we invited them they came down we swapped no, we didn't swap houses at that time. They came and stayed in our house, and we went up and lived in someone's house up there. And what are you going to do over three Sundays? It was just three weeks. And uh, so I had this idea, you know, Luke, who wrote Luke's Gospel and Acts, he begins Acts by saying, in the first book, Theophilus, I was writing about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. 
Oh, I thought, hmm, that's intriguing, isn't it? What Jesus began to do and teach. And I realized that in actual fact, the Acts of the Apostles about what Jesus continued to do and teach. And he's still at it today. So that was the beginning thought behind our series, I guess. And in those three Sundays, I developed the three first three major themes. Uh, Jesus at work building his church, yeah. growing his body, gathering his harvest. And then back home in Ingham, which is uh, our closest town. Uh, we were without a minister for a year. Kindly, they didn't ask me to preach every Sunday. <laughs> but I did get the opportunity to share those three themes and uh, added a fourth and coming again. So I guess that's that was that practical need. But, you know, once you've started on something, you say... There are a lot of other bits and pieces that belong here too. And so that's when the book began to develop. It's interesting that um, from such a simple notion and yet a complex notion at the same time, but you know, you formulated that really neat framework, that three three point framework and what a gift those three Sundays were for you to you know, to further explore them and then ultimately like you say, the the book, you know, took flight from there, um, and then you had the opportunity to, to you know, extend that in the um in that final part where it is about gathering, um, not gathering his harvest, I should say, about actually coming again. The you know, when he returns to make sure we've been doing the work properly. That's right. Uh oh. Thank <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you. Well, it's. Uh it's it's very striking. Um, I guess I, I had my computer up in Cairns with me, and uh, you know I was preparing as I went. I and I'd prepare something that was too long for a sermon. Mm. Well, in most of our churches, some churches have long long sermons. Most of our churches they want it to be a bit shorter than that. And this was too long. So in actual fact, I I said to the office of the church up there, I said, look, I've got a long version of this. I won't be preaching all this on Sunday, but if anyone wants a copy, they can have the long version. And guess what? Everyone wanted the long version. Everyone wanted the long version. And if I can just point out for our listeners, when you talk about it being a long version, we're not taught, this is not War and Peace. It is, it is not the no, Bible. No. <laughs> this is the whole, the whole book, in fact, from, from cover to cover is just, is 173 pages to be precise. So, <laughs> if that's not an extended read, in fact, it's actually a very enjoyable read. I, I, I love, I love your phraseology and and you know how how you express you bring such a you bring such relevance to um to Jesus's work you know so and and the intention and I, and I love the scripture that you that you bring in as well very just so very very relevant um tell me Peter who does this appeal to I mean we we get really that it, it's it's really for the believers it's for you know for Jesus's community um how how do you see this book being used in 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 his world our world the world 
Yeah, well, I think people need to read it. Mm. <laughs> that's how it, That's one of the ways in which it's used. But no, um, if it's if it's true, one of one of the assumptions of the book, if it's true that in some ways the church of today has forgotten what we're supposed to be doing before he comes again. Mm. Uh, I think we all need to take a serious look at that. And what I believe is that uh, all all Christian people could read this. I've endeavoured to be non-technical. Uh, I guess it's impossible to avoid that. And those of us who have had to study the technicalities uh, don't know when we're being technical. Well, to, to that end, I was actually just about to commend you in in and uh, because it's it's not you know you make the comment to me about it avoiding jargon and so on, but it's not rich in um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Is it it sort of dogma and so on? I mean it's it, it's it's a very it's a very appropriate call to action. It's not all about crossing the r- religiosity is really what is the word I'm looking for. It's not rich in relig- religiousness if that's the word is now right. <laughs> but it's it's you know it's it's rich in intention. It's rich in message and um and a, and a really beautiful call to purpose and and I think that's what I I uh, you know think is incredibly refreshing. Yeah, interestingly, my wife and I. Uh, are actually in a community choir here Mm. uh, which meets at the Catholic primary school on a Monday night and of course people in the choir I might have mentioned the conductor or something at one stage uh, they got to know that I was writing a book oh we want a copy of that book Mm -hmm. now in this choir there are only three of us who are non-Catholic so I've got all these Catholic ladies reading the book and enjoying it. And I said to the priest, Father Damien, I said, look, you really should get a copy of this book. Your people are reading it. And he made an excuse. He said, oh, there are 70,000 other books here and I haven't read them all yet. But he should. Yeah. And I guess that's what I think, that, that anyone... Uh, at whatever level of the church structure you might like to uh, you might like to uh, to name it really ought to be thinking about the issues that are in the book it's the issues it's not the book itself yeah the book tells them it i said to someone i said i'll be satisfied that the book has fulfilled its goal when i hear from the archbishop of canterbury and pope francis i'll know that people are really taking the book seriously yeah and that's a bit uh, ambitious isn't it well you know it's good to have ambitions it's good to have goals it's good to <laughs> you got to put it out there um and you know let's be honest in so many ways it's that's reflective of your message i mean we could we could say that jesus had a goal for us in his absence right <laughs> so <laughs> it's it's the same thing you know it would be that would be a great thing if uh, you Got some feedback from from both of those individuals. It'd be great to you know hear their thoughts, because to that end, that re- that really sets up my next question for you, Peter. Yeah. Because, um, well, let's say the Archbishop and the Pope do get to read read your book, um, and anybody else for that matter. But what would be the key things that you would hope they would take from from your book? Well, I think the title really says it. Mm. It is that Jesus is at work. I would say 
through the church and even in spite of the church. Yeah. And it's vitally important that we be connected to Jesus in faith and love and to one another in love and mission. You know, even seeing people in the local supermarket, uh, you shouldn't say, oh, they don't go to our church. Mm. But we belong together. And as I've said a few times in the book, don't know how many, uh, in heaven we'll find that there aren't any of these people of these categories. They'll be there because they're believers, not because uh, not because they've you know been Anglican or Catholic or Baptist or whatever. And you know yeah. that's I think that's the other point that that you make in the book that's really worth reinforcing to our, to our listeners today is that we're not talking about a building called a church. We're talking about a movement of people that's called a church, a gathering of people. That, that's that that's the church, not not bricks and mortar, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So really important to realise that piece, and I think you're right. That is a message that is missed um, frequently uh, today. Well, I see that you know thinking about well, not just the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Pope, but people get caught up in the in running the organisation. Mm. You know, now I've said that any any movement. Uh, even if it's divinely inspired, we'll have to have some organisation. It does. But if the organisation becomes what the movement is, you've lost it. Mm. And people's, you know, I think people get tied up in in the work of offices. Well, look, God bless them. We need offices. We need people to keep accounts. We need people to do all of those things. But that's not the essence of what the church is now I mean when I before I retired you know I had to make sure that the that the books balanced and all of those sort of things but that's not what the church is that's the thing I think yeah and and you expand on that in part two of the book particularly where you talk about the gifts of the functioning body it's about you know recognizing we all have a gift we all have a talent we all bring you know our, our, our gifts and talents to the, the service of Jesus' work, so yeah. um, we can't all be we can't all be ministers. We can't all be um, you know we can't all be in the choir. We can't all be you know X, Y, and Z. We all bring what we have in, in service, and like you say, whether that's in the supermarket or whether it's as part of the organisation, it's just as we go through life, what are we doing to respond to that to that call, the you know the mission that was left us when Jesus left, right? That's right. That's what it's about. Beautiful. Tell us, um, Peter, where can people get a copy of this book, Jesus at Work, A Call to the People of God? Uh, that's a good question at the moment. I've been trying to get it into uh, some of our larger bookstores in in Australia, mm-hmm. uh, but certainly it is available through, uh, through Amazon.com, Amazon? through Barnes, Barnes & Noble. Mm-hmm. Uh, I noted for Australian listeners that in fact uh, an e-book version of is available through Angus and Robertson. Oh, fantastic. Which is interesting. I actually, Amazon in America was advertising this book before I had a hard copy in my hands. Wow. There you go. 
I have a limited number of books here that I can sell personally at a discounted rate, but I can't offer that inter to your international audience. But if there's anyone in Australia that particularly wants one, if they could get in touch with me, I can. I have a limited ability at this particular point to uh, to help at probably a cheaper rate than they could buy elsewhere. Perfect. If I can just say then, Peter, to our listeners, if you would like to take, uh, if you would like to make contact with Peter in relation to that, then go into the comments section here on the web page of of your, this radio station, and if you can jot a jot a note in there, we can certainly connect you with Peter to to make that happen and get his wonderful work in your hands. Jesus at work, a call to the people of God. Peter, it has been a pleasure to talk with you this afternoon really has been a pleasure I I had this wonderful sense that I could probably sit and chat and listen to you for hours just quietly well well, it may be possible to uh, to arrange that some other time <laughs> not on air <laughs> but for now we probably just need to wrap it up right <laughs> I think you're right yeah, but, uh, but it's good to talk and I I hope that this gives gives your listeners um, the in- information and inspiration that they need uh, that's what it's about beautiful yep. so thank, thank you again Peter for um, taking the time to you know thank you for accepting the mission to go up to Cairns for, for three Sundays and to form the sermon because you know for those three Sundays because that's that was the impetus that was the piece that, that set this uh, this piece of work in in, uh, in play for you so I think I have to say thank you for accepting that mission, um, and to our, our readers, particularly if um, you know if you are a believer, if you are um, of the Christian faith, it would be very very interesting to you. And if you're not a believer, it would be interesting as well, just to get your insight into um, into what it is to be a part of the Christian community. So, Peter, thank you again for your time this afternoon. Great talking to you, and look forward to having the opportunity to talk again at some time in the not too distant future. So. To our listeners, thank you for being with us again. My name is Deb Han and um, I've been here with you for Author Voices On Air for Toginet Radio. Good afternoon. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.